Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules Today, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease Here's my shoulder for you to lean on when everything is going wrong and feel Hello this is AJ Delario and this is really good shares this is a recovery podcast brought to you by the small bow that's b o w .com my goal is to expand the definition of recovery. Uh, that's it. Most people associate recovery with recovery from drugs and alcohol. But once you stop using drugs and alcohol, you're left with basically uh, you. And that's when things get interesting. And even if you're not in recovery, I hope you get something from this. It's pretty good. Really good, as they say. Today's episode is a pretty intense one. It's about suicide and depression, but it's mostly about survival. Our guest is writer and philosophy professor Clancy Martin. I don't want to be patronizing, just fair warning here. We are going to be talking about suicide, ideations I've had, that Clancy has had, and the practicalities for how to live with suicidal thoughts. And just so you know, after we recorded with Clancy, we actually all had a sense of relief. Clancy even called me a few days later to say how good this conversation was for him. So let's just talk about it. I first discovered Clancy's writing a little after I got out of rehab when a friend of mine texted me a story in Harper's called The Drunks Club, which is this massive first-person opus about Clancy's lifelong struggles with depression and alcoholism. His prose was stunning, the painful things he was discussing, his blackout drinking, which included many arrests and several suicide attempts, were just so artfully told that I almost forgot how dark it all was. 
even when he wrote about how he hanged himself and his wife found him and cut him down. When I started the small bow, I really wanted Clancy to write for it. To be honest, if Clancy was the only person to write for it, I'd be okay with that. Clancy's had a long personal history with suicide. He's written about it many times for, for Harper's, for Huffington Post, for me at the small bow. And like I said, he also teaches philosophy at University of Missouri in Kansas City. You could probably call him an expert. So I'm going to have Clancy read from an essay he wrote for the Huffington Post called I'm Still Here. I think it's important to point out that, like a lot of people, Clancy didn't choose to feel this way. For years growing up, I was consumed with the thought of suicide. My awareness of my inadequacy seemed to require a resolution. This sounds shamelessly self-gratifying, but there's really no other way to put it. Among my earliest memories is the desire to run in front of an oncoming bus. I was already thinking about suicide in a daily way when I was three or four years old, and this didn't stop until I was in my early 30s. Every day, for as long as I could remember, I fantasized about suicide. When I was young, I imagined that I might even get to watch the funeral and the aftermath. As I grew older, I accepted that it was not because I wanted to see what would happen, but because I was sure I wouldn't have to live any longer. Essentially, I started with the fame version of suicide and transitioned to the consolation version. Awesome. Uplifting, as usual. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. You know. Maybe it's the same for you, but there's something cathartic for me listening to Clancy be candid and open about this. Talking about suicidal thoughts with anyone who hasn't experienced it can be dicey. Like, I don't want to upset people. I don't want advice given to me. I just want someone to relate. There's a shorthand that exists between two people who have persistent suicidal thoughts. It's like going to a different country and finding someone else who speaks your language. There's a comfort there and relaxation. And with Clancy, I can just kind of exhale for once. And once I started to get to know him, I came to realize that here's a person who's very invested in figuring out why he is the way he is. I think the first time I spoke to you on the phone, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I thought this guy was going to be dark and gloomy, but he's like this friendly Canadian, just like, you know, well, that was a toughie, you know, <laughs> like that sort of thing. Is there a part of you which you have to contend with, like, weekly, daily, monthly? I mean, do you see kind of just like when the storm's coming with you? The short answer to that question is no. Like, I just am kind of, you know, the person that I am who's trying to, like, process the history that he has created for himself, including the times when I've just been a spectacular disaster. And that, as as you know, has almost always, but not exclusively, involved um, the addiction to alcohol. Even in my darkest times when I was in the psychiatric hospital and I thought I wasn't going to get out, or even, you know, like in a, in a bathtub with a knife, you know, a hundred Valium in my tummy, a bottle of whiskey there with me. Even then, I think if, you know, if you'd called me and it was like, oh, AJ, hey, I was just calling and this is my situation. I think we'd have the same kind of like smiling, <laughs> laughing sort of conversation that we tend to have. Even in that extreme, I think that's true. 
I think the real power of these conversations is being able to have them without the fear of disappointing someone. And that's where the levity comes in, because there's a sort of freedom that exists when you're able to talk about this with someone who knows what's up. That's what I find so healing when I talk to Clancy. See, we have no problem talking about this stuff with each other, but it's always a chance to talk about it with our families. You know, there are times, definitely, even in the last year, when I have been going through a rough patch and my depression has been so uh, painful that I, you know, definitely couldn't think about talking to someone about it, you know, was afraid to walk into my own kitchen to get a can of soda water for fear of seeing my wife and my son, you know, and, and having to, like, talk to them and be, like, a normal human being. And um, sort of afraid to sit, afraid to stand up, afraid to write, afraid to, you know, try to exercise. I mean, I wish in times like that I felt like I had the confidence to say to my wife or to other people I love, hey, I'm going through this right now. But I always feel like, you know, and this is something I've just got to work on. I always feel like somehow if I do that, I'm going to make matters worse. And also that I'm going to get like some advice that I'm really not ready to hear or that, you know, I'm going to bring them down and then that's going to make me feel even worse because they're going to be like worrying about, oh, he's going into this really dark place. And then, you know, and it's just going to cycle further and further down. Last year, I wrote about Soundgarden singer Chris Cornell's suicide. and I'd mentioned how he'd hung himself with an exercise band and then questioned whether I should keep the one I had. Was keeping this around like having a loaded gun, I wrote. Before I could advance that thought any further, Clancy read the piece and immediately emailed me. Throw it away. So I did. So Clancy and I are close in a weird way. We've never met in person, but we've also discussed openly with each other some of the most desperate and depressive moments in our lives. He's inspired me to write more openly about my own struggles with depression and ideation in a way that would have terrified me had I never known him. Like this episode, for example. Reading and talking with Clancy just gave me some confidence to write about some things I'd never written about before, for fear of how it would be interpreted. Like, I haven't had a newsletter in a long time where people have asked me if I was okay. In the early days of the small bow, I got a lot of those emails. And that's the trick. Try to figure out a way to talk about this that doesn't feel like a cry for help, but it also feels helpful. It's helped me not only get it out, but it helps me connect to other people who may have the same kind of brain, which is one thing that can be tricky about having these conversations. The conversation in a way that we want to have with our mo the most intimate people in our lives, it winds up being this conversation that we have with strangers. I just have to be uh, you know, willing to talk to them about it. Clancy answers calls that most people would not. I call Clancy myself when I don't have very many people to talk to. When I need to tell someone I'm fantasizing about killing myself again. Talking to him comforts me. So how are we supposed to talk about suicide? I don't know. But here's what Clancy had to say. This is something that um, I think about constantly. I've talked to, you know, a bunch of experts about 
how they handle these conversations too. And then I've talked to some people who I talked down off of a ledge and I talked to them after to see how they were doing and also to ask them, you know, what, what, what could I say that worked? What could I say that was unhelpful? You know, trying to figure out, to try and figure out how to have these conversations with people. What I have found, the only thing that actually works is like being as honest about my own experience as possible and just being willing to like literally, honestly tell any story, no matter how humiliating or uh, appalling or even morally shocking that story might be to the particular person I'm talking to. So when it comes to the practicalities of how to navigate our mental health, one thing I don't think we do enough is get specific. I'm a big fan of talking about my medication dosages with anyone who's being medicated. There's a lot of other communication that's helped me out. So I want to give a snapshot of what this can look like. Last June, I had this minor episode. I was up late working on a newsletter, mostly about my father, so my emotional state was a little blasted. I think it was 3.30 a.m. when I finally went to bed, but I was nowhere close to sleeping. My brain started to fry. I began to have thoughts about hurting myself, coupled with violent images just running through my head. Imagine like a giant bookshelf, and on the bookshelf, it's like a hundred milk bottles, right? And then one milk bottle falls in. You hear that shatter. And then two, and then three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, nine, crashing, struggling to kind of make sure that the milk bottles don't fall. Plus there's like an annoying banshee sound kind of screaming at you in the whole time. Like, right, you know? <laughs> mm. I took another gap of pent, and that wasn't working either. Finally, about 4 a.m., I told my wife that I think I need to go to the hospital. I felt terrible about that. I mean, she rolled over and popped up a bit and then suggested I wait a few more minutes before I make that decision. Why not try the Zyprexa, she said. I hadn't tried it yet. I was a little nervous about taking that particular medication. But the choice between taking the pill and going to the hospital was easy. I would take the pill. And it worked. Within five minutes, I was out cold. I slept very late the next day and was kind of useless for most of the day. But I survived. We had a good plan. And it was a plan. My psychiatrist recommended it to me. It's like an earthquake kit for your brain. When the earthquake happens, here's what I do. I have a bag ready in case I need to go to the hospital. I have a plan in place for the kids, etc. Or I take Zyprexa. If the Zyprexa doesn't work, then it's off to the pokey. But I don't want to do that if I don't have to. Here are some things I need to be aware of before the earthquake happens. One, I have to be very vigilant about sleep. If I don't get sleep, my brain gets foggy, and then it gets clogged. I can tell when this happens because it's impossible for me to read a book. I'm just rabbit-holing on my phone, buying shit I don't need, Googling myself, and reading Twitter. Two, water. If I don't get like 80 ounces of water per day, I get screwy. Three, running. Shout out to Steve Wilson. Or any sort of strength training exercise. Honestly, I need it. Without it, I feel soft and, and bad and distracted. 
Four, therapy. I should go more often than I do, but I don't right now. And I need it. I also have a psychiatrist, which leads me into five, medication. Right now, I take 300 milligrams of gabapentin per day and 200 milligrams of Lamictal at night. I need it. I'm not trying to sell anybody on any sort of particular medication, but I was very, very scared of taking it before, but now I do, and it's changed my whole entire life. My earthquake plan is when I'm like, when I'm panicking, you know, when I'm really in a state of panic, then I really just try and practice this thing that I've been doing lately, which is not doing anything. And just letting myself totally not do anything. It's my only job right now is to not do anything. I don't have to look at my phone. I don't have to breathe if I don't want to. I don't have to look at my computer. I don't have to, you know, get on the bike. I don't have to, I can just totally not do anything. Just not do anything and I don't even have to look at the panic if I don't want to. If I can look at the panic, all the better. But if I can't, all I have is one thing I have to do, which is not do anything. That's it. You know, Lao Tzu has this wonderful line, nature never hurries and yet everything is accomplished. I will say this for anyone who is listening to this podcast. If you have problems with panicking, you can panic less. <laughs> you can panic less than you are presently panicking. You have got to acknowledge to yourself how impatient you are. That is very helpful for me, just acknowledging to myself that I am like outrageously impatient. Impatient with the people around me, impatient with myself, impatient with my environment, impatient with my bank account, impatient with, I mean, my impatience, my demand to constantly change things and to have things change at my pace. It's just, it's outrageous. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Stop, do nothing. Although when my brain starts to freak out and the thoughts in my head seem to be forcing their way out the front part of my skull, it's tough. Sometimes I don't have the urge to kill myself in those moments, but I do want to act. Like the mania part kicks in. I want to run really fast down the middle of the road, or read seven books at one time, or do a thousand push-ups, or buy $20,000 worth of crypto. I start to fantasize about whisking my family away to grow eggplant on an Italian wheat farm. See, those are very, very strange thoughts. And they come rapidly. Like, imagine taking your thumb against the deck of cards. And I want to stay around. I don't want to die. And that's why I take the medication that I take. That's why I talk to people. That's why I talk to people like Clancy. So I want to stick around and I want to stay put. I want to do nothing. I've spent a lot of time looking at the writing of people who have struggled with panic and, and, and for whom they're, they wound up taking this uh, shortcut out of panic. Um, 
so many of them wrestle with this, this problem of being impatient. You just have to let yourself accept that, okay, you know, things don't have to happen. Things don't have to happen on my schedule. They just don't have to happen on my schedule. I don't have to make them happen on my schedule, and I don't have to worry about if they don't happen on my schedule. I can just, you know, let them happen on their own goddamn schedule <laughs> and, and not take responsibility for them. And if I don't take responsibility for them, then they really do become a little bit less my problem, you know? Mm. Damn, that was great. No, oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We survived. Cue marching band. But to sum up, talk about this with someone. Find someone you can relate with. You should definitely have a therapist, but find a study buddy. Two. Have a plan. Three. Do nothing. Four. But have a plan. Five. Your brain can get scary, so be practical. The next episode is a fantastic one. It's about healing. It's about dogs. It's about my dog, Nesta. It's about sexual harassment, the New York Jets, Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre's penis. But mostly, it's about forgiveness. What kind of music would you have here that wouldn't sound a little crass? Yeah, like a marching band. I called up Swamp Dog and I said, look, I'm doing an episode about suicide and I I need a song for it. And he said, I love suicide songs. I don't know what that means, but that's what he said. So I had a song originally picked out for this episode. I didn't think it worked well. I thought it was a little too much of a hard left turn. So I I went back to Swamp Dog and Moogstar as collaborator and suggested a song called It's Okay. Now, the original version of this song is very fast. It's a punk song by a Portland band called Dead Moon. But I played it over the phone for Moogstar, and I said, I'm wondering if we can slow this down, and I think we can get a swamp version of this that would be really nice. So this is what they came up with. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I 
Chairs is hosted by me, AJ Delario. We're produced by Julian Willer, Jackie Huntington, and Jessica Kreinschich with production assistance from Lindsay Hoffman. Our theme music is Everything You'll Ever Need by Swamp Dog. In this episode, Swamp covered It's Okay by Dead Moon. Our executive producers are myself and Julian Willer. Special thanks to Mangesh Hedtikader and Bethann Macaluso. An extra special thanks to Clancy Martin for just being who he is. If you liked what you heard here, check out thesmallbow.com. That's bow as in bow and arrow. B-O-W. Cool. We'll be back next time with an episode about amends and uh, my dog, Nesta. diets and weight loss struggles it's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results introducing smart metabolic burn from brain md your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat imagine burning fat balancing glucose levels and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks this unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula berberine which targets abdominal fat and oea which curbs your appetite with just two capsules a day Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.